Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Come to the Table, Part 4, The Main Course, recorded Sunday, May 29th, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Really today is the focal point of where Jesus has been going to this point. He's really going to nail us down. He's really going to ask us a question that really is probably one of the most important questions, if not the most important question that you should consider in your life. And the question is, who do you say he is? The question he asks his disciples is, who do you say I am? And really, it comes down to what we've been talking about over the last several months. Am I going to crown him with thorns, or am I going to crown him with glory? And there are likely people who are hearing this message today in this room or online, who you're on the fence. I mean, maybe you've been a part of church for your whole life or portions of your life, and you've listened to the tunes, you've sung the tunes, you've read your Bible at some level, you've studied it, you've even served alongside other Christians, and yet your posture still is, well, kind of in, not sure. I'm sure there are people here today who think they are disciples, but their daily lives show little or no evidence that he makes any difference to you. I mean, yeah, you do some stuff, but the bottom line is that you're controlled from the inside by bitterness or unforgiveness. I mean, there's this person or people who you just can't get over the hump with. Or it's maybe jealousy or you're just a prideful human being, and no matter what you hear, it still comes back to how you want to feel about yourself. Or whatever it is that keeps you from following him for who he is. Last week, some of us attended a CPR bus safety training here at Third City. Uh, Those who are involved in, like I drive a bus once in a while, so I needed the training for certification. And, And the point is we want to be ready in case something does happen where We need to, hopefully never, but if we have to, offer some life-saving measures. And it was really good training. The the person who offered the training was, she was good, she was professional, she knew her stuff. Uh, The videos that they showed us were informational, I thought very well done, and they showed us techniques on how to help someone who needs something in a crisis. So there was even a time when we did the, you know, did the Heimlich maneuver and and, and uh, compressions to a, a dummy. And no, they didn't throw me on a table. It was this, like, dummy. And, and by the way, I'm looking around the room. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, it's so good that all these young people are learning these techniques because if somebody goes down in our church, it'll probably be me. I'm the old guy, you know. So I wanted them to get the content, if you know what I mean. But the, the point is this. Like, I, going through all that and you get the certification and you learn some techniques, when it comes to delivering the goods, could I do it? Like if I, I'm in a restaurant and someone starts choking on their nuggy, am I going to be able to be the one that steps over and does that correctly? You know, or if somebody hits the floor? It's one thing to get the content. It's a whole other thing to use it if necessary. Now, now we're going to cover a lot of Bible today, about 38 verses. I'm not going to read them all. But, but I do want to show you that when you're on mission with Jesus, it means that you're on this, you know, this e- eternal life-saving mission with him. Like, you know, the training matters. 
and it matters the most when it comes to delivering the goods, okay? And so let's jump into this and maybe make some parallels. I think it'll help. Mark 8 shows me if I line up with him on his rescue mission to save the world, it's got to start with compassion. Compassion. Compassion that overcomes whatever obstacles may be. Chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me for three days and have no food to eat. Now, being a lifesaver always begins with a heart of compassion. By now, most of the people who were following Jesus were there for miracles. I mean, they liked the teachings. They were involved in the listening aspect of what he was doing. But let's face it, it was the miracles. I mean, who can blame them? If someone came into, this, into the midst of this place today and said, all of you who are struggling with some dehabilitating disease, I want you to just line up, I'm going to heal all of you, and it would work, who wouldn't, right? Or if, you know, if it had to do with some, some just some deep-seated spiritual pressure that's on you, that, you know, that's just wrecking your life and your spirit, and he says, I want to free you from that line up who wouldn't or even if he said you know what after church today i'm going to throw a big banquet out on the plaza anyone that wants to come i mean who wouldn't we understand so they had been there for three days now they're without food but jesus's compassion for them will not allow them not allow his disciples to send them away instead he meets the need because of compassion that's why he said that and if we're going to be on his rescue mission, it has to begin with compassion for people so that we will be willing to overcome the obstacles that exist to, to feed them, so to speak, to bring the good news of Jesus to them. Because it's compassion that compels ministry. That's what we're about. It's compassion that drives our ministry to reach lost people. That's what it's all about. Now let's step forward a little bit here. It also means that he's going to supply or equal or exceed the demands that come our way. So if we're on mission with him, he's going to make sure we have what we need. Verse 8, so they ate and were filled. They took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000. That was a lot of people. Now, a little side note, if you were here a few weeks ago, you remember that Jesus entered a location called the Decapolis. It was a Greek area, and he was promptly confronted by a man who had many demons dwelling in him. He was in a cemetery. He was, you know, he was a desperate human being, no doubt about it. And, and he came to Jesus and confronted him. And so if you remember the story, Jesus exercised, he removed the demons from the man, and then he put them into a swine of pigs that were nearby. Then the pigs promptly committed suicide by jumping off a cliff. Yes, I'm going to use that dumb reference again. And the results of the village was to kick Jesus out of their region. They, they didn't want anything to do with a guy who would wreck their economy. I'm going to sneeze, Davis, I'm telling you right now, I'm warning you, if you want a mic. I thought I was going to sneeze. I might, I might need you. Be have the finger on the butt. Anyway, so the man's freed, and he wants to follow Jesus. He wants to get in the boat and leave with him. But remember what Jesus did? He said, no, I want you to go 
back to your people and tell them what's happened. Show them the, the results. And so here we are now, just months later, Jesus returns to that location, and now there are 4,000 people who have gathered. So this guy was very effective in the message, and he told them. Now there's some details given on how Jesus performs this miracle, and the English translation of our Bible doesn't quite cover it. Our translation says in verse 7 and 8, he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to them, he set them also before them. And, and that, so it sounds like Jesus just broke bread and broke fish, and he handed it to them, and then just somehow it, as they passed it out, it miraculously, uh, uh, you know, multiplied. But that's not how this works. The, the Greek language says he kept on breaking it. So like, think about it like this. He took some bread, he broke it, he handed it to his disciples, took some bread, he broke it. Like it just kept happening from his hand, from his provision. And, and, and I think it's important to see that when we're on mission with Jesus, realize it always comes from him. He's the bread giver, it's not us. And realize that we'll always have what we need as long as we're on mission with him. Like I think about our church over the years, you know, about at the end of the year, we always kind of count it up, you know. We do an accounting of what we've distributed in terms of, of resources, whether it's, you know, people who we've touched with the ministry, what, you know, it can be physical things that we've helped people with, and we, and we do an accounting of what, of what we have. And there's always a little bit more to do the work. And that's for a variety of reasons. Number one is because Jesus, as long as you're on mission with him, he's going to make sure you have what you need. I think another reason is because he's always going to do that through the people who love him and who serve him. That there's something about our hearts in that mission that, that we're willing to dish out grace too. The follower of Jesus has compassion. It starts there. The follower of Jesus trusts that God will provide that his rescue mission will always have the supplies needed to do his work. Another thing, we are committed to his core teaching, the content of what he has. It's about Jesus. It's about his message. His disciples were struggling with understanding why Jesus was not cooperating with the religious leaders from their nation. And some of them were confused about the meaning behind the miracle, the miracle of feeding mass people. They were foggy about his mission. And, and I want to read a little bit about that so you can see what I mean by that. Verse 13, and he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. I mean, they had baskets full of bread. Remember this? They had enough lunch for days, but they forgot to throw some in and they didn't have more than one loaf with them in the, vote, the boat. He charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, always kind of a bad thing to do, to leave Jesus out of your thinking and to reason among yourselves, saying, it's because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to him, why do you reason because you have no bread? He's like saying, are you guys idiots? Don't you, haven't you seen me over and over again feed people? What are you worried about? You're worried about some bread? 
Do you not perceive? Do you not understand? Are your hearts still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said, seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? See, here's the thing. I think they were struggling with content, meaning they had grown up believing that the teachers of their religion had the bread of life. They grew up believing that politicians like Herod could give them what they needed. Like, it's, it's the idea of the leaven, you know? Like, what they give me is going to sustain me, and it's going to it's going to inundate me and it's going to make me the kind of person I need to be. And if we've learned nothing else in our world, as in our lives, it's that human beings cannot deliver what God can deliver for us. I hope you've learned that. If you haven't, you will, I promise. These Pharisees taught that following God is all about your performance, how you do religion, how you perform the sacraments or whatever they would call them in that day. And then, of course, Herod was a politician. And you know what politicians do, especially at this time of year. They're like, here, let me give you this. Let me give you this. Let me give you this. Can you give me your vote? Can you give me your vote? You know what I'm saying? And we all know that that's a a dead-end street. And that's what he's showing them. You know, it's kind of like, it dawned on me yesterday about that CPR training, how, how we had to use qualities of observation to understand circumstances. That's really what's going to happen. When we get into an emergency, you've got to stop and, and, and survey the situation and, 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 and then make good decisions based on whatever the situation is. And so Jesus says in this passage, he says, I want to ask you a few questions so you can observe your situation. He says, do you not yet perceive or understand? Think about this. What have I already shown you, he's saying to his disciples. What have, I, what have you witnessed from me? And I think every one of us should do that once in a while. Just stop and say, God, what have you shown me in my life? What have I witnessed in your mercy and in your goodness and how you've treated me? Are your hearts hardened? So you're going to analyze your heart. Does your theology and desires outweigh your compassion for lost people? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? In other words, you're you're just saying, what are my circumstances? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? How can I apply his compassion to the world that he's put me in? And do you not remember? He's saying, recall your training. Recall my teachings. He's telling us to remember what we've learned from him and to put it into practice. And then he just asks the question he started with, do you not yet understand? Come on, think again. Remember. Remember what I've done for you and I will continue to do it for you if you'll trust me. The core teaching of Jesus is that we are on a mission with him. It's a rescue mission to save the universe. I'm going to say it that way because it's fully true. Now, he does all the work, but we cooperate in that message getting out. So, here's another thing that comes with this core teaching that he's throwing at us in this, in this vast scenario in chapter 8. Will I elevate Jesus overall? 
In other words, when it comes to, to being on mission, on this CPR rescue mission with the God of the universe, am I willing to put him at the pinnacle of that universe? Because here's what it comes down to for them. Here's really where it comes down to for you and for me today. Verse 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? They answered, Well, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Still others, well, just one of the prophets. It's kind of the way they probably answered. It's like, it's like a survey Jesus does. Surveys are okay. Like you do a survey and you ask a couple questions and then you, you kind of gauge the, the tenor of the people, right? So, so who are they saying I am? And he, they throw out all these, you know, pretty big names, right? And, and, and by the way, it's kind of what most of the world would do with Jesus if you did this survey today. Who do you say he is? Oh, he's kind of like Abraham was or Allah, Muhammad, Nostradamus, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa. Great guy. Pretty good teacher. I think he did some pretty crazy things. I don't know. It's not a poll that the majority decides. It just isn't. And if you want to put him in the realm of those other possibly good or great people, so be it. But then he points his finger at you and at me and at them. And he says, okay, who do you say I am? Because that's where it gets real, friend. Who do you say I am? And Peter, the, the bold one, answers and says, you are the Christ. That's a clear answer. There was no mistaking what he was saying. You're the one. You're the one they all talked about. You're the one that John the Baptist set up. You're, the, you're the, the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the savior of all of us. You're the one who all these prophets lauded. You're the one who's going to take upon the sins of the world. I think he believed all of that. And by the way, he said, you're the Christ. That, just so you know, his name is not Jesus Christ. That's not like Jesus Christ last name. Christ is not a name. Christ is a crown. He's crowning him Messiah. And here's what he wants you to know. But truthfully, people all, are all over the place when they answer the question, who, are, who am I? You know, I mean, like, like there's a thousand answers, a hundred thousand variations. Everything from nobody special to never was to the only one who really matters and then something in between. And I'm just saying to you, it's one thing to know the content. It's a whole other thing to get the certificate of training. And still, it's a whole other thing to deliver when the chaos comes. And so he wanted to teach them about the chaos. And when chaos hits, the question is, can I deliver? Because it's one thing to remember the course. It's one thing to get the certificate. It's a whole other thing when crosses start rising out of the ground. 
So look at what happens here, verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So it probably took days, and this message was over and over again. And he named the enemies, and he named the future, and he, he talked about crucifixion, and he talked about being killed, and, and he talked about resurrection. And finally, Peter had just had enough, and I think he'd been talking to the others. And he kind of said, hey, Lord, you got to knock that stuff off. That's just a downer message, okay? It's getting pretty depressing around here. Can you just slow your roll a little bit on this dying stuff? It's, it's really kind of depressing. And, and Matthew adds context. Matthew, who wrote a gospel, said that Peter said, you need to spare yourself. And that, my friend, is the philosophy of the world. That is the philosophy that most of us struggle with every day of our lives when it comes to us following Jesus. It's, you know what, bottom line, i got to spare myself. It's about me. Peter rebukes him. I just think it's interesting that that's the the thing he says, spare yourself. And I think it's out of concern. I think we get it. Everything he'd seen in Jesus, the power over demons, the healing of the sick, raising of the dead, power over nature. You just don't say, oh, well, I guess a few robe priests are going to kill him and say that makes sense. It didn't make sense. Because that cross, remember this, that cross was not raised by priests or even Romans. It was raised by God for Jesus. We can never forget that. For him to spare himself would mean that there's no sparing you. That was not his mission to spare himself. I think that's important for us to understand. When Peter rebuked Jesus, Jesus turned around, looked at his disciples, and rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but rather of the things of men. Jesus called out the devil in Peter and anyone else who will live by the philosophy that will ultimately lead to despair, emptiness, and death, even though it seems to offer fulfillment and satisfaction. He rebukes Peter and the world's game directly, bluntly. That's devil. That's devil. Because, see, it's one thing to know the content. It's something to get a certificate, but it's a whole other thing to deliver when the crosses are coming out of the ground. It's your decision. Because that question he asked them, he's asking you. You can try to avoid it, but it's still right in your face. And the question is, he's asking you, who do you say that I am? And it's your decision. You either come after him, you deny yourself, your self-preservation, your save-yourself attitude, and you follow him, and you trust him, and you find salvation, 
You count the cost and you say, my way, my goals, my success, my stuff, my approach, good life, that cost me my soul. Or his way, his truth, his voice, his works, his mission, crown him with glory. It's the only choice you have. We're going to commune. We do this weekly here at Third City for many reasons, many reasons. But the bottom line is Jesus established this moment so that we could realign with him every week. I really believe that. To remember, he says, to remember like he's trying to show his disciples walking down a path somewhere between Caesarea Philippi and somewhere else. Remember the cross. Remember the cost. Remember the mission. And Lord, we pray those crosses, a cross, his cross, CPR to a man or woman on the edge of death, the cross, the Heimlich maneuver to a man or woman choking on their sin, the cross, an implement not of death, but of life. Take this bread. It is reminding us of his body broken for us. It's small. I like to break it as a memory of what he did on that night when he said, this is my body broken for you. This cup, nothing like the one he had that day, but the contents do the same thing it did for them. It it reminded us of his blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of my sin. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Jesus. So as challenging as that question is, and it's epically life-changing, to be honest, then go forward with him. When he called the people to himself, with his disciples also, so he lays it out now to the crowds. He said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit anyone to gain the whole world, lose her soul? What will a person give in exchange for their soul? I mean, whoever is ashamed of me, he says, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him I will be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his father with the holy angels look I this is a work in progress friends like the CPR training it goes on and on you know what I mean like the techniques kind of change over the years But the goal remains to save a life if necessary. And I want you to see his life-saving message here. It's for you. And it's for anyone who you know that you believe needs to hear it. 
if anyone desires. That means you come to him with, it's a flat earth when it comes to Jesus. Everyone comes to the ground of the cross in the same situation. Anyone. I don't care what brings you here today. I don't care what you've done before you got here. I don't care what's in your past. I don't care, you know, what's in your mind right now when it comes to Jesus. I'm just saying, if anyone desires him, come after him. He says, come after me. The me is he. The me is Jesus. There's no other way but Jesus. No other way. But you got to deny yourself. That means whatever it is that's keeping you from following him first, you got to put it behind you. Because he won't accept you with convoluted motives. Reject the role of king in your life that you want to fill. Accept the glory of God. Repent, which means I redirect my life from myself to him. And then the hard statement, and take up your cross. My cross is a symbol. But the cross was a killing post for him. It was an execution tool for the Romans. And what he's really just asking you is, are you really into this? Because there are crosses that come with it. And they're hard to bear. But not nearly as hard as the cross that he bore for you. I promise you that. It's like a conviction, the cross. A conviction that changes how I see the world, how I see myself, and what I offer him. See, we don't just believe in God. We believe into God. That's what it means to carry a cross. Follow me, he says. My teachings, my example, his promises, his ways, his, his life continuing to be willing to transform and align my life with his, doing the things he does, becoming more like him every way I can, finding myself where he is in his thinking, in his attitudes toward me and others, in things like forgiveness, reconciliation, joy, fellowship with people. Look, I've been a Christian for 20 years. And if my life hasn't changed, if I said that, if I've been a Christian for 20 years and my life hasn't changed, I've got to be worried about that. I, there's something wrong with me. If I'm still in bitterness, if I'm still in non-forgiveness for someone who hurt me 20 years ago or 15 years ago or whatever, if I'm still living a life where I'm addicted to stuff that's killing me and the people around me, and I say I'm a Christian but I'm still addicted, something's got to change. There's a cross involved with that. Becoming more like Jesus is evidence that I've been crowning him and not myself. And the question is, who gets the crown? And what does the crown look like? Like, I can crown him today with thorns. Many of you, you've been doing that with Jesus all your life. Or you can say today, he gets the glory. I give up. That's a great place to be. That's a great place to be. We invite you to that place. 
Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.